air of confidence and that's the used car salesman kind of mentality unfortunately now it's not used car salesman it's everybody is victim to that because we're so we're so sensitive and i use this great example when i'm on stage you probably saw it is that like i said if i was going to cater your wedding and i was trying to sell you on the chef i was going to be bringing to be there that night and i had gordon ramsay as my chef how many words would i need to get you to say yes right i have gordon ramsay would I need to talk about Michelin stars? Welcome to Innovation and Leadership, where I interview uncommonly high achievers like top investment fund managers, elite special operations soldiers, startup CEOs who sold their companies for billions of dollars, pro athletes, Hollywood filmmakers, really as many different kinds of experts as I can. The whole idea is to hear how they did it and then what advice they have for the rest of us that can be applied to the organizations we're trying to grow and innovate. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's show. Today on the show, we've got Brant Pinvidic. Uh, Brant, thanks for doing this. Absolutely, brother. So I know you from the book, yeah. but uh, you've, you've done a lot more than write books. Can, can you give people just a little bit about your background and, and where the three-minute rule came from? And uh, yeah. let's start there. So I'm a television producer by trade. I moved to the United States about 20 years ago and started in reality TV mostly. Had a really good run, a lot of shows like Biggest Loser and Bar Rescue and Extreme Makeover. And so I was in the company and ran a, a couple of big companies, ran the TLC network as the head of development for a while, around the TV Hollywood game for many, many, many years. And my main core job and what I sort of was very proficient in was pitching and, and selling the show. So I would come up with the ideas, we'd develop all the material, and then we'd go to the various networks, pitch the network on the idea, and they'd have to say yes or no. And what's interesting about reality television that's different than any other form of television or entertainment is we don't have anything when we're presenting it, right? If you're a scripted TV show, like you have a writer. Like if you've got Sean Ryan, like to sell the show. That's not a big deal. Like pitching that is nothing. Same thing in a movie. You've got The Rock to star in it or, or James Cameron to direct. Guess what? You can sell that movie. In reality TV, it's just like, we think this might happen. With these people, if we put them on an island, we don't know for sure, but here's what we think, right? Very, very difficult. And so I pitched hundreds and hundreds and thousands and thousands of times. And over the course of that, you know, 20-year career, I learned how to pitch in a very aggressive market and a very sophisticated audience. And I found that the less I spoke, the more powerful my message was, to sum it up. And so... Well, Six years ago, I, I bumped into a guy at the lower there for the for the weekend, and you know TV's tough. So I was in a particularly rough mood, having everything I pitch passed on. You know, like I'll pitch a hundred shows a year, and they'll buy four. And I was pitching shows that had been passed on, and, and my family was like, "Oh, it's the greatest idea I've ever heard." And I was like, "I know." So my ego all these shows, putting on a show, and the guy had been watching this, and he said, "Hey, can you teach my clients how to do what you do?" I was like, no, I can't teach people how to pitch reality shows. He's like, no, I need you to get my clients to pitch their ideas without putting people to sleep. And he was an investment banker, and he ran all these these big investment conferences. And so he invited me to one of his conferences, and I happened to be in Florida at the time. And so I went to it, and I watched an oil and gas company. It was the worst thing I'd ever seen in my life. I could not believe that someone who ran a $2 billion company could speak like this in front of people and try to explain their company. It was absolutely mesmerizingly terrible. So they asked me, hey, can you help us? And I was like, I don't even know. I'd watch it again because I couldn't even get what he did the first time. Finally gleaned a few ideas. I moved a few of his slides before his next presentation. It went much better. He was pretty happy about that. And he basically said, hey, can you 
can you come to Texas and work with me? And I was like, no, I have a full-time job. And he's like, I'll come to LA. So he came to LA. We spent the weekend at this hotel ballroom and, and I just cracked his company just the way I would put a TV pitch together, you know, like broke everything out on the board and put all the things into its orders and then reordered them properly and simplified it. And he, two weeks later, you know, he left me this message on my, my phone and it said like, he was emotional. He said, you've changed my life. I'll never forget what you've done for me. My wife thinks you put something in my drink. We completed our raise. I will never be able to thank you enough for what's happened. And I was like, holy no network president has ever said that to me ever. And as I joke when I'm on stage, like I'm one chromosome away from being a caveman. They completed the raise. They, he, the company paid me, not hit them. And so then it was just on. So then I was specializing in training these small cap public companies on how to pitch and present their ideas in the marketplace on their roadshows. And I just, I fell in love with the idea of it. And I converted what I was training into what's called the three minute rule, which basically states that everything about your business product or service has to be conveyed clearly and concisely and accurately in three minutes or less. And there's some real science behind that three minute threshold of how we understand how we make decisions, when we process information and what order we process information. And we've been doing that in Hollywood for forever. That's how we build scenes and that's how we build story and characters is in these things. And you watch Shark Tank every three minutes, you watch a scene on a, any script, it's just three minutes. Like there's a science behind that. And I just train people how to pitch and present their ideas clearly, concisely and accurately now. Can you, can you give people a little bit of an overview on, on what WHAC stands for, the WAC method? Yeah. So the idea is it, it stems from how we as human beings make decisions, right? We do that in three parts. When we want to, to someone's pitching something or we're going to decide to do something, first, we have to conceptualize it. We have to understand what it is. Then we contextualize it, meaning, okay, how does this work for me? And then we actualize, meaning now it doesn't matter if you're deciding what shirt to wear today or whether you're going to kill your husband tonight after dinner. Like those decisions as big as small as they are, the ramifications don't matter. We go through the same process. What is it? Why do I want to do this? How am I going to do it? What's it going to mean? And what's the actual process from here? And what are the results, right? So what I developed was called the WAC method, W-H-A-C, which is a method of breaking down any picture presentation into the four key components that fill that decision-making process, right? And if you think about somebody who's been pitching you an idea like they don't get three minutes most of the times, right? Have you, you've had someone pitch you something and in the first 30 seconds, you're like, I know yes or no right away, right? 10 seconds, you're already like, yeah, I don't want to do this. That's because we've, we've shortened that process so quickly that we're just like, I already think no. And what we do with the three minute rule and the whack method is I delay that process. I delay your initial yes or no till you get some of my valuable information. So WAC stands for W, which is what is it? H, how does it work? A, are you sure? And C, can you do it? What is it is literally, what is it? Can you just tell me what it is? I don't want to hear any setup or any, any story. I don't want to hear facts. I just want to know what is it. I am a personal trainer that trains celebrities to get ready for their next movie. Okay? That's barely two sentences. You have a pretty good idea of what I do, right? That's what it is. And it's very hard to get people to just commit to just telling people what it is without a whole bunch of setup or right that's what they want they want to they want to do setup they want to do i teach them what is it let's just get to the point that is what people are desperate for i could talk to you for a long thing about human attention span but so 
once you do that, it's like, how does it work? Okay, once I understand what you do, now I want to understand how you do it, right? And think about the last time someone was droning on in a conversation. You're just like, could, could you just tell me what this is and how this works? Like, that's what your brain wants, right? So when it comes to like, how does it work? It's literally, how do you achieve that? I move into the celebrity homes 90 days before their role starts and I work with them 24 hours a day. Okay, I get it. Like, now I know what differentiates you. You're a personal trainer celebrity house 90 days you're like a shadow on there oh i get it like most people can fill in the the rest pitch and present we think we treat people every little piece of information because we value it so much oh my information is so precious i must give it to you myself in my own way people don't want that what is it how does it work then are you sure becomes what are the facts, the figures, the logic, the reason, the stats, the details? How do you verify all that? Only after I understand what you do and how you do it, or like the, you know, the 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 void in the market they're gonna fill. And it's like, what are you talking about? I don't even know what you do yet, right? And instinctively, our brain scrambles this, and we discount the person right away. Once you have been through that, then when the guy says, "I trained the Rock for Fast and Furious," I trained get jennifer garner um in her role like now i now i get it oh like you're one of the top guys now it's like so those are the facts and the figures and logic and reason do you have a, all that stuff right then that's the are you sure and then can you do it is like can you actually do it what is the process what do we go from here do i need to get manager approval do i have to fit in your schedule what's the price when is it available you know like i'm not taking new clients on till 2022 it costs $5,000 a week like whatever the fact is is that the price and all those things don't have the same level of issue when you've already explained it value in the whack method the what is it and the how it works is 80% of getting the job done somebody who believes in what you do 80% and they understand what the what it is and the how it works will be okay if you've never done it before. They'll find a way to make it work. They'll be okay if it costs too much, they'll find a way to pay for it. Like, the biggest thing is, what do you do? How do you do it? Let's just get there. I love it. Well, you know, I've list, I'm have i a real audiobook nerd. I've listened to maybe, if you don't count like, you know, 400 plus books from the Jason Bourne genre, okay? I've listened to right. maybe, uh, eight, probably between 850 and 900 business books, okay? in the last dozen years. And, and I've, I've been through yours three times so far and recommended it and I've been getting like great. I, I really love it. I, I think it's because I feel like I've been a sales guy since I was 15 years old, you know, like right. I was selling corn on the corner from like the farmers cut it at night, drive it into the city. I sat on the corner selling corn as a 15 year old all the way to, you I know, love that. being a CEO of a private equity fund, raising tens of millions of dollars. Right. And I still just feel like top sales guy. And I think, I think, I don't know. I, I just feel like you get straight to the essence of like the part that really matters. And I, I read a lot of sales books, hoping for like, even after 25 years, I'm hoping for one more thing, one more thing, one more thing to up my game. Right. And I feel like yeah. you kind of like took me and shook me and I'm like, Jess, you have way too many slides in your deck. <laughs> you need, you need to like rethink your life. Right. Yeah, <laughs> you need to exactly. go meditate Jess. But like, even even people from your industry. So even though like my my what takes up most of my time is 
raising money for our, our real estate fund, Greystoke Investments, right? When people know you have raised tens of millions of dollars, they come ask you for help with everything. So like three sets of friends that I've worked on stuff with recently who who I've got into your book right now, like one already has, they, they just landed 10 million bucks for their TV show. Another one is working on a $40 million movie with Universal right now uh, and literally texted me today, say, said they're halfway through your book and are loving it. The other one just I love got, that. The other one just got Warner Brothers to fund their pilot and felt like your book was super helpful. And and the fourth one right now, they're they're awesome. They've got, you know, they worked on Minority Report and the Sandlot and stuff. They've got uh, Jerry Mullen on their team, who's the producer of like Schindler's List and Jurassic Park and all this stuff. And it's not just me. Like everybody loves the book. So you've done something <laughs> right. Okay. It's been a really good run. I'm having a blast. Uh, I think one of my one of the things that really stuck to me, and I'm sure you said it in the book, but it just didn't, the place where it really stuck out to me is some talk you did. I was watching YouTube videos of yours and you've got this graph <laughs> on, on the upward angle is confidence and on the cross the bottom is number of words. And you've got yep. this line starting at the upper left that goes down to the lower right. And it's like the less yep. confidence, the greater the number of words. And I just thought right. for myself, like, wow, that is such a simple concept and so incredibly true as like a fact check of like, when am I talking a lot and getting into convincing yeah. behavior and da 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 versus the times when I'm like, I know I've got something awesome. Like you may not realize right. it, but I know it's awesome. And I don't feel like I need you to say yes for me to feel right. better about my own thing. That's right. And that's, that's part of the thing is that what you realize is the greater your desire to achieve your objective, the more you will lean into promotion and hyperbole. And the world today senses that from miles away, you know, like they have the, they have the eagle eye for that. You know, they have this, the scent of a, of a hound dog for that kind of, and it's a really good piece. Cause I didn't realize that as much when I was writing the book. And in fact, if I go back, I would have added another chapter on this completely and added more to it because I didn't know when I was developing the system, the result of using it would be this layer of confidence because I get a lot of requests from CEOs to train their sales forces to be more confident. A lot of CEOs want to be more confident. And it's like, no, I can't teach you to be more confident. That isn't something you learn, right? Confidence doesn't come from a learned behavior. That's phony. You can pretend to be confident. That's not the same. Confidence comes from the belief that you have in the value you bring to others. That's where actual confidence comes from. And so what happens is when people are not sure if they're bringing value, if they're selling a product that's questionable, they overcompensate the lack of natural confidence with a put on air of confidence. And that's the used car salesman kind of mentality. Unfortunately, now it's not used car salesman, it's everybody is victim to that because we're so we're so sensitive. And I use this great example when I'm on stage, you probably saw and is that, like I said, if I was going to cater your wedding and I was trying to sell you on the chef I was going to be bringing to be there that night and I had Gordon Ramsay as my chef, how many words would I need to get you to say yes, right? I have Gordon Ramsay. Like, would I need to talk about Michelin stars and the difficulties and the shows and, and is, would I have to show you his beef Wellington? And like, would I do any of that? No, I would. And how would I be? How would my character, how would my presence would be, right? It'd be like, I have Gordon Ramsay. Now, conversely, if it's my brother-in-law who's an ex-convict, doesn't cook, really mean demanding that I find him a job, 
How many words am I going to need to try to sell you that, right? I'm going to be telling you that the chef that night doesn't really matter that much. It's more of the ambience is created and I'm going to be there to benefit and giving people a chance. Like I'm going to go through a myriad of things and your bride or your groom is going to be like, oh, I do not like the smell of this guy. Like you will smell the desperation. You will know that it's not right and you will discount what I'm saying without question. And that is because as the chart shows, the number of words you use is inversely proportional to the confidence you convey. The more words you use, the less confidence you convey. End of story. The, the, the less you talk, the more confident you appear and the more value you actually convey, which is so hard for people to get it through their brain, right? And it's hard for me. I'm the guy who wrote the book and I still have trouble with it, right? Because I, I'm in love with the things I want to say. And so when I'm developing my own pitches or working, like I still have to really work to get it down because you're so precious about your information. But the less you say, the fewer words you use, the more confident things. And I'll give you a funny example, which I didn't, I'm sure I didn't, I never tell the story, but I do tell it very rarely. Okay. So I have a, a friend who's an actor, very good friend. He calls me one of his finance guys. He works with his Korean guy, supposedly a billionaire. I don't know him. He knows them, they're friends. He's got an investment to the very beginning of COVID. They're gonna make masks or something like that. He wants me to come be part of it and help them. Get on the phone with him. Sure, okay. Get on the phone, I talk to the guy. His plan is to import these mask making machines from Korea. Big, huge monster machines. They're gonna make these nanotech N95 masks. And this is like April last year, right at the beginning of the pandemic. He's basically saying, man, masks are going to be the thing. Everybody's going to wear masks. This is a genius idea. We're going to make them here in America, blah, blah, blah. I was like, okay, that's very interesting. How much money are you raising? He's like, I'm not really sure. Like maybe $3 million, maybe $6 million, somewhere in that range. Not really sure. Okay, what terms are you offering on that? Well, I don't really know. I think I'm going to probably do like a promissory note, maybe convertible. I'm not 100% sure how I'm going to do that. Okay, well, do you have a deck that outlines how the masks are made and all this kind of stuff, what we're doing, the technology? Oh, no, I haven't had time to put that together yet. Oh, okay, well, do you have masks or like, what do you, do you have samples? Like, no, I only have these, the ones that I have from Korea, they're all in Korea, you won't think that, but like, but you should come on board. Come on the board, you know, like put in something small, put in a couple hundred, put in a couple hundred thousand dollars, put 250 in and, and we'll, we'll figure it up from there. Okay, that was it. I swear to God, man, I just about took out my checkbook. I was so close to writing this guy a check, right? And the reason is, okay, think about this. The only person in the world who would ever speak to me like that and pitch something looking for money with that little together is a billionaire who couldn't give up whether I came in or not, right? That's the only person that would pitch me an idea like that is someone who didn't need my money and couldn't care less. <laughs> yeah. And that was an overpowering, I, I being pitched every day for stuff. And I have an investment club that we invest. Like I was so drawn to that. I couldn't, I was like a werewolf at night. Like oh, I must give this guy money. I got to be near this guy, you know? And my wife's like, what? And I was like, I don't know. It sounded better when we were on the phone, right? <laughs> so that's how powerful that, and I don't recommend anybody doing that style, but the fact that he was well, so mad Unless that, you are and, a billionaire you know, and you don't need them. Right. But here's the important part. He didn't say, I don't care about your money. He never said other investors who are anxious to get this, but I like you and I want you in. Like all the people tell you, right? It's like, oh, I don't know if I can get you in on this. I have to find, like, I don't know if there's any room in my investment. Oh, we're oversubscribed. Like 
all of those things total and everybody knows that right now i really want you you know i give it to this price but let me give you a discount because i like you like all of that he didn't do any of that and that's important all he said was like i don't have much information to give you do you want in or not you know like and it was like well you must be doing something because you don't care about me you know so i think that what people need to learn is that attitude from a genuine place, if you really believe that your information is is high level and quality, and you can convey it in a simple, straightforward way that conveys that quality and simplicity, it then reinforces the fact that you have enough confidence to just, what if I just told you what it is and how it works? There it is. That's it. You know, only someone who really believes in their stuff would just tell them what it is. You know, it's interesting how that makes us take a look in the mirror, though, of is my yeah. stuff good enough, right? Like right. Our, our real estate fund is like it's a contrarian fund where we're trying to do like the Warren Buffett thing of go after the stuff, go after the stuff that other people don't care about. You know, like we're not trying to buy industrial buildings that have Amazon as a tenant. Everybody's bidding those up, right? The rate of return goes down. And yes, the problem is like Warren Buffett says the number one skill you need as an investor is emotional control to not have how the crowd feels about things be contagious. Like you have to have the emotional control to go look at the stuff that everybody else says sucks and and just be okay with it. And like like, you know, he talks about having he says a group decision is when he takes a look in the mirror, you know, (laughs) it's like, listen, if you're going to buy the unpopular stuff where the high rates of return are, you have to have the ability to trust yourself, right? And I found myself trying to not really tell people exactly what we were buying because I was worried they didn't have enough emotional control to be like, to to like it because, you know, nowhere in the Wall Street Journal were people going to say, and KKR and Blackstone are rushing into this. You know what I mean? Right? And, And what's funny is those people weren't investing, and when I started, I kind of like, you know, I'm like a motor mouth. So I was accidentally like oversharing with this investor who kind of sees the world similar to me. And his favorite thing about it was the stuff I was scared to tell people. Right. And he's like, man, I love the counter cyclical angle. Like that is, that makes so much sense. That's where the big money is made. And it was, so then I started actually telling people and, but I intentionally started talking to entrepreneurs, people who are willing to like go against the grain. Right. Right. And the only person so far that hasn't liked it was somebody who is not really a bold entrepreneur and wasn't right up the fairway for who I should be pitching and was like, well, you know, I'm not sure those asset classes, you know, I guess we'll have to see how those asset classes do over time and stuff. And it's like, oh, he was not. But it was interesting because I was able to not try to overexplain and go like, oh, he's not he's not my guy. Because normally I'm like, I'm desperate. I need everybody, right? And anyways, any thoughts That's about right. that? I, I, I mean, it's sort of a, a mix between is your, is your product, let's call it your product, business, or service, as good as you think it is? And when you, and I've been on both sides. I gravitate now because I, I, you know, I have the luxury of, of being a little more just sort of like a little picky and choosy on stuff is I choose company. And something really good. Love the companies that when I hear what they say, it's a mangled mess. But I know underneath is this diamond in the rough. And all people have to do is understand it. 
particularly if you're in a small cap public company and people don't understand what you do and all I have to do is make them understand it, that's a very good system to be in, right? Whereas I have had clients um, where what they actually have at their core is actually not great. And so they're trying to use me to spin it in a way that sounds better. And I, I can't help you with that. I just can't, you know? And I had trouble. I, I work with a very company that does a lot of timeshares. And their timeshare business is really struggling because people don't buy on emotion like they used to. And the, and the people that you could get into a room, uh, you know, at some sort of Vegas res resort and give them a free weekend and then sell them on this timeshare thing in the moment, thing, very old and very far, you know, few and far between. And so going through the system and I was like, okay, like the only way you can pitch a timeshare today is if you really lay out the value and don't try to pretend like it's something that it's not. Just be like, here's how it works. You fit these criteria. This timeshare will be, if you don't, there's no point in me even talking any further because you won't buy it. And if you do buy it, you're just going to cancel. And so they had a lot of, they had a lot of trouble getting around that idea. And I was just like, listen, I, I can't help you fool people. That's not what I do. You go hire Grant Cardone or one of these guys. Like there's enough of those guys that will try to get you how to like close the sale. I'm like, that's not what I do. It's more about like if your information, your business, your product or service, which you believe in, which is good, could just be conveyed to others so they understand it the way you understand it. Would that make them interested? And most people are like, yes. And it's like, great, let's adjust your goals. Your goal should be to translate your knowledge into someone else's understanding. That's it. You just need to get from A to B. If they're like you, they have to be interested. And the truth is that people understand things in pieces and you need to lead them, right? Like, like little breadcrumbs of information, not like a shotgun of information like most people want to use, right? And that's been how I've used the Hollywood sort of storytelling techniques to help people figure out how to lead people, right? Like James Cameron can get you to sit in a seat for three hours to watch a movie about a boat that you know sinks. Okay, how is that done? <laughs> it's done by using pieces of information and pieces of character to weave the story. Shawshank Redemption is my favorite movie of all time. We don't start that movie by saying, Andy Dufresne escapes from a really bad prison. Let me tell you why, right? Spoiler alert if you haven't seen it. But... You know, what we do is we take you piece by piece. We explain the situation, how he got there, his characters, what's happening. And by the end of that movie, you want him to escape every time. Even if you five times, you still want the ending. Why? Because, and we can do that. We can make that an hour and a half long. You still know what happens. We still build that, right? And storytelling and say the same thing. I just need to give you the information piece by piece. This is what it is. This is how it works. Here's how I can verify all that. Here's how you get it. Now you you want to talk further engage from here it's a whole other world to be in yeah totally listen i think it's a great place to end for part one of the interview maybe as one final thought here before we break kind of a tangent but one of my favorite questions is what's one of the best pieces of advice you've ever i think one of the best pieces of advice <laughs> so weird was from tony robbins who's a good friend of mine and he said to me stop acting like a poor person and it hit me so hard because my mentality was very scarce 
and I was doing a lot of things in Hollywood, just chasing cash, chasing money, chasing clients, chasing paychecks. And when he was looking through sort of, we had this whole financial thing that we were doing together and he was basically like, yeah, you act like a poor person. Like you think like one, you act like one. This is, you're like, you're a day-to-day guy. You're, you know, like that's not the way, you know, people who live in abundance, whether that be wealth, time, freedom, all those things, they don't live like that. They live in bigger picture things. They think two years, one year, like, where do you want to be? You're thinking about your monthly things. Like, you know, and that was such a life-changing moment. And I've been so much happier since I've readjusted all of that stuff. But Is this partially where the five-month tour of 48 states comes oh, from? Oh, yeah. Oh, there's, yeah, that, I mean, that part was like, oh, my God, that's just the end of that part. That was the beginning of my sort of right turn into a completely sort of different world. P.S. I, I appreciate you tuning in from the road. How many states have you guys done so far? Yeah. We, this is state number 39. Okay. Of 48, we are going to do all 48 in six months in a gigantic RV, which is a little wild. <laughs> I love it. Okay, everybody, tune back in for part two. I've got a whole bunch more questions for Brent.